Okay, let's do this show, everybody. Let's do a show about video games and not about dog. If we must. Uh, dogs are dogs are pretty good, though. Dogs are pretty good. Alien Duelist, this is episode 311 of Insert Credit, a podcast where we time the answers to a series of topics posed to a panel of video game experts with a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, and my favorite bird in a video game is the seagull that appears at the end of Link's Awakening when you finish the game without dying. Shoot. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers, and uh, my favorite bird in a video game, shoot. Uh, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, the good joke is to say those Ninja Gaiden birds who just get you when you're standing on the edge of a platform and you're about to jump and they just get you. Cause, uh, are they, Do you cause like they, those birds? Yeah, because they remind me of uh, high school. <laughs> um, like eating lunch in the cafeteria, uh, you know, getting getting stuff thrown at me, getting pushed out of my chair. A fond memory. When I least remember it. And they teach me that, uh, they make me remember that life is bad. <laughs> just generally. Just, I mean, just in general. That's what they make me remember. <laughs> the Ninja Gaiden birds, everybody. Okay. Um, but no, also, you know what? No, I like those big old chubby crows in, in Bloodborne. Oh. Y'all know what I mean? Those big old crows that are just like sluggishly just like flopping around like beached dolphins on the ground. You know those? When you said chubby crows, I immediately thought of Yoshi's Island. No, I don't like those ones. Um, I, I really like those uh, those big old nasty uh, flappy weird ravens. Uh, those are hilarious. That's good. That's a that's a real answer. I I've now I've decided that I'm gonna re recalibrate my life <laughs> instead of uh, thinking most fondly on the really really bad game design birds that remind me of how I was treated uh, K through twelve. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start thinking about the the birds that remind me of how I've been living my life since about uh, March of 2020. <laughs> uh, you know, living in a plague city, wallowing on the floor, making low, long, weird noises, dressed completely in black. Anyway, I'm done. Who cares? Yeah, Brandon, I've been waiting for you to chime in with your bird for about three minutes now. Ninja Gaiden well, bird! You know. Uh, Do it. <laughs> I'm Brandon Sheffield, and it's hard to think of specific birds, but one of my favorite birds in video games is uh it's not so much the bird as the action surrounding the bird i like that you can hatch a chicken in shining force 3 you get an egg and then you gotta hatch the chicken and then the chicken lays another egg and then you give that egg to somebody and then you get a secret character uh but i was more excited i think about hatching the chicken than about getting the character and then this is I wouldn't say it's exactly cheating. It's just a rather all-encompassing. I like a bunch of the birds in Tori no Hoshi because there's there's a bunch of birds in there. You got to photograph the them. There's different kinds of birds, and they all look interesting because they're on a alien planet, and uh, they're they're cool. The whole that whole game's about flying with and photographing birds. So uh, that's that's a uh, you know might might as might as well throw that in there. Are there any games about hugging birds? I wonder. Would you consider Billy Hatcher from Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg a bird? Or is he just a boy who wants to be a bird? That's that's a chicken costume, yeah. That's not quite. Yeah, I think it's a costume. <laughs> I mean, I also like them. I like them chocobos. Yeah. I like to ride. Oh, yeah. 
That's the like easy to, answer. I like to ride one. I like to uh, call it up and it says quick and whatever. I most identify with the chocobos that you you first see when you smell them and then you have to use a carrot to reveal them. Those are the, the chocobos I most associate yeah, that's with. that's pretty cool. We've got a guest this week. That's true. Joining us, uh, filling in for Frank Cifaldi, who is away on assignment, is the library director for the Video Game History Foundation. You may have occasionally heard him before shuffling around over Frank's microphone. Phil Salvador is here. Hi there. Yes, I'm here uh, actually talking and not just leaving the office occasionally and slamming the door. So, hello. <laughs> good to be here. Uh, my favorite bird in a video game. I had a good time to think about this. Uh, I was a big fan of The Matrix Online for some years. That was the very oh. short-lived MMO about, uh, yeah. you know, takes place in the Matrix world. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had a very detailed city sort of simulation happening with traffic and pedestrians and birds. And I remember one day some server glitch happened where every pigeon in the world was located at the exact same point. So there was just floating <laughs> in the air. There was this super dense sphere of pigeons. And theoretically, if you touched it, they would all break up and disperse. But there was just no way to reach it, like in this point in the air. So people just gathered around and witnessed the pigeon orb. Uh, so I'm going to say my favorite bird in a video game is every pigeon in the Matrix Online. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's a pigeon king. Right? Yeah, like, that's like a rat king. Yeah, yeah, like a rat king. Yeah, I guess I've never thought of it in that term, but yes, that's an accurate way to put it. The God, pigeon king of the Matrix is my favorite video game bird. That's very good. Terrific. Did you say whoa when you saw it? Uh, unfortunately, I was relayed all of this afterwards. I missed the incident. It only lasted for a short period of time, but uh, I, I caught up on the forum thread and the screenshots. When the when you read the for, when you saw the screenshot, did you look at it and say, whoa, like that? That's, that's uh, I panicked mind. and tried to escape off the ledge of a building and then got talked down and had a thing inserted. And it was a whole thing. It was a whole situation. Very good. Don't, Matrix Online was really emotionally intense. Uh, a little pigeon thing that I enjoy is in, forget, I think it was like Yakuza Kiwami or Kiwami 2. There's a lot of things that can happen with cutscenes in those games where, you know, objects that aren't supposed to be there are there and the characters still have to bust through them. And uh, I remember a particular sequence where there were a bunch of pigeons and uh, the, <laughs> the, the characters were moving. They just were shuffling these pigeons around, just like walking. And then the pigeons slide around and into the camera and stuff. Loved it. Love that stuff. Very good stuff. Also, I just remembered that the Bloodborne crows also remind me of just the, the omnipresent crows and ravens of Tokyo. When you, uh, when you leave a, a club or a bar or a karaoke booth after an all-nighter on your way to the first train in a, in a well-populated urban zone of Tokyo, the streets are completely carpeted with crows the size of bald eagles. You know, yeah. just like enormous, enormous crows. I appreciate those. The lore of the Bloodborne crow is they got so fat because there's so many dead bodies for them to eat, right? Is the whole... Right. Uh, and they, they, they ate so many dead bodies they can't fly anymore. Really interesting character design and also good lore. And that's, uh, they remind me of the Tokyo Crows, many of whom look like they couldn't fly either, but then they can, which is It's nice to have an, an urban animal that reminds you that animals exist, just in general. Yeah. I mean, they really, it really feels wild to see them. You're like, oh, yeah. these wild creatures just seamlessly live in this city. They're just here all the time. Yeah, they know when trash day is, that's for sure. And they know they know where to be, uh, to not be in people's way, and they know when to come out and get a whole bunch of free stuff. Let's do our first question. Good Why idea. Not? Phil, you're currently writing a book about Maxis, so I thought I'd start with a few Maxis-y questions this week. Ooh, okay. Uh, are you going to – can we finally figure out what's the difference between Maxis and Fiber Axis? Uh, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Phil, what is the difference between Mac? Because I, 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 I never, I never, I, I never Google. I'm always mean to Google it. All their games use the six axis. I'm kidding. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, there was one project that had the sim name on it that was Sid Meier's Sim Golf. Uh, my understanding is that that was just EA being like, "Hey, let's put the sim name on this," and then like Will Wright had a meeting with Sid Meier, and that was kind of the extent of it. Is my <laughs> understanding of it? Yeah. Which is confusing because Maxis also released their own game called Sim Golf earlier, so there are two oh, separate no. games called Sim Golf. Oh, that's so <laughs> one of which everyone loves. And one of which nobody knows about and is not great. <laughs> I, I just want to say that why, before you answered the question, Brandon mentioned the six axis. I did. And I did not react because I was thinking I, – I, I initially said Maxis and Phyraxis. And then were you to answer the question sincerely, I was going to say, okay, well, what's the difference between Phyraxis and the six axis? <laughs> but then when Brandon said six axis, I was just immediately <laughs> thought, you know what? Forget it. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Uh, insert credits greatest running yeah, joke stepped right if on somebody it. else is going to just say six axis uh, and it's like I had some I had a whole thing I had a whole bunch uh, of dominoes I, I, I said all their games use the six axis I, I added a couple more words in it, there it wasn't as funny as saying well then what's the difference between fire axis and the six axis you know humor is very subjective too. sometimes comedy is about who gets there first it's a little bit of a foot race no no it's not uh, <laughs> you get there good or you just don't go you go big or, or stay home is what I say. All go right. good or stay home. I want to anyway. Ask, what are we? Max's I want to ask it. I, I want to ask sis. Uh, is there an evolving line of game design that you can trace through the Maxis Sim games where development in one title informs the concepts and direction of the next idea? Or was it all just kind of spiraling in a bunch of different directions? I'll say the through line to most of it is that uh, the I think at least the best of the Maxis games were inspired by actual ideas and research. So something like Sim Ant, it wasn't just Maxis saying, let's make an ant game. That's crazy. Like they researched ants. Uh, Will Wright was uh, has always been someone very interested in exploring ideas so he would like find the textbook about ants like a thousand page book about ants and just read the thing and being like okay i'll make a game based on this so the best of the games are all inspired by things like that um sim earth was inspired by this hypothesis about like how the earth was formed how continents form and how all the systems fit together in the atmosphere uh once you start getting further afield from that i think that's when you start to see the games spin a little bit out of control where it's like hey let's make another sim game but about this thing sure and there's not as much of like you know focus on the actual real world grounding of it but i think at least for the first couple years you see a lot of that like their projects are inspired by specific things even the sims uh was I mean the big inspiration for that was that Will Wright's house burned down and he started thinking a lot about like yeah it was, it was a whole like during the Oakland Hills fires in ninety one it was like a whole incident and um but he was inspired by like okay how do I reconstruct my life like how do I rebuild this stuff and that's when he started thinking about building homes and like how things are constructed and like how you place objects intentionally and he was like maybe there's a game in here this is interesting and like so all these things come from some idea people were interested in exploring versus I. I think um, later on, once you got to the Sim Golfs, that was like, oh, shit, oh, let's uh, do a golf game. Uh, and that was not nearly as rooted in something like that. So yeah. that's the main through line, at least until they start getting into uh, the weirder, further flung Sim games. Uh, I was about to say like and then name a Phyraxis game uh, <laughs> is what I was going to do. Like Sim Golf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then I, and then the first one that came up was Sim Golf. But you said there was another Sim Golf. And then I was like, oh. Like Maxis's Midnight Suns. That one was not based on uh, real world research, unfortunately. But Was Spore based on – wait, is Spore Maxis? Spore was yeah. also Maxis. Uh, yeah, I, I know. Purposely I, I, was just, I, was, I was asking it as a I, – I was pretending to not know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I, should, I, should, but I shouldn't do I, that. 
I've purposely capped my research at Sims one because past that it just gets into so many other areas. Like I'm just I'm not qualified to like talk about like the hundred baby challenge in the Sims community. It's like this is a whole separate area. I just don't. So oh, yeah, I, Spore was based on research though. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, I, sure. Yeah, I, I remember that they were talking about that. We they invited us over a couple times as Game Developer Magazine to uh, look how much research we're doing. Yeah, look at and all they, they show you a bookshelf or whatever. Is that what they did? That's right. All these books. They were talking about evolution and uh, how how amoeba spread apart, and uh, that was kind of like sort of some of their inspiration for how the the, the kind of blobby characters blob together and things. I don't know. Yeah. There, there, there was some. I don't remember all the details. If you listen to Will Wright talk, he always has this cadence where he's so excited about the idea that he's always rushing from one point to the another. Has this very kind of like yeah. fast and halting cadence where he'll say like. The thing about Spore is Spore based an idea about evolution. And the thing about evolution is, and like that's just the way he talks through every, and it, it's just hearing him give a talk, it's just like somebody excitedly trying to tell you a story where they have to explain 20 things before they tell you the actual part of the story. And oh, it's, yeah. uh, it's very fun to listen to. You can, you can hear him uh, writing paragraphs in his head. There will be a longer pause between like an idea and then a short pause between sentences where he's he's rewrite. I mean, I've noticed this after listening to lots of his uh, his lectures uh, or you know and whatnot. He'll stop to write a paragraph in his head and then he'll say the first sentence, stop, and then he'll be like, "I'm going to reword this next sentence a tiny bit and then say it." It's it's really interesting to hear him talk that way. I empathize with someone who. Uh thinks faster than they talk and have to keep like pausing and reworking their sentences as they're going. Yeah. I think people who think faster than they talk stand up. They stand a better chance of learning how to talk better than people who talk uh, well. Uh, and people whose whole thing is they talk well, right? If that makes sense, you then end up learning how to think about talking while you're thinking faster than you're talking. And then you end up constructing whole sentences and paragraphs. Yeah, you and can edit on the fly that way. You're writing a research paper while you talk. It's it's fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Max has started publishing some Sims games that weren't developed by them, like Sim Tower and such. Uh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, they had a lot of weird projects. Uh, the one that I, I'm trying to keep some research close to the chest as I'm writing this thing, but one that's this is public knowledge that I just think is amazing is they published a fish tank simulator developed by Alexei Pagetnov, which is really weird. Hmm. Um, nobody ever talked about uh, L Fish, which is an abbreviation for electronic fish. Um, but it was that oh, was I should uh, called it E Fish. Right, yeah, it's it sounds. I think it's meant to be like elfish or like I don't know what the pun. It's kind of it's confusing. It's a it's a weird name for a game, but um, maybe it makes more sense in Russian. I'm a I'm a real big fan of the alternate uh, timeline where we used the word L instead of E, like L male, L bay. Right. I think that would have been a cooler <laughs> uh, harmony. Yeah, it would have been a would would have been a cool uh, harmony, cooler world. I think if we'd have done that. You can briefly take a, a journey into that alternate timeline by playing Elf Fish, which has not been published in about 33 years. So, Oh, I bet I can get it running. Yeah, well, all they need to do is slap some Leonard Nimoy narration on there and they made it work. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's time. Was Spore, Ma- was Spore by Maxis? <laughs> that, that was by uh, Six Axis. They were the ones for. You could play it with the Six Axis. Uh, I want you to imagine it's 2005. No. Maxis is still riding high off their success of The Sims 2, and they're looking for new worlds to conquer. Where else could they have gone next? One thing that always- Sims 3. 
<laughs> well, and yeah, apart, apart from Sim, one thing that always struck me is that Maxis never did, and this is a very broad term, but like an economic simulator. Like I've always been amazed. Like there's a tycoon. Yeah, something like that. Like all of Maxis's games are always in charge of a very specific, like in specific can be anything. Like you're controlling the earth or you're controlling a tower and it's never... There was a game that was put out, uh, I forget what company did it, uh, called Capitalism, that it's this very nuts and bolts game where it's like the literal implementation of business, where it's like you're in charge of, you own the place that makes products and you set the price point for them and you have to distribute them to retail locations. You like it, It's incredibly complicated, but something like that in the Maxis style where they take a complicated idea and boil it down to something that makes sense, that communicates the ideas of it without being extraordinarily complicated – I'm honestly surprised they never did that for yeah, like a tycoon game or I even think about like Diner Dash being on the very far end of that where it's like managing a restaurant. Like I'm yeah. genuinely surprised it Maxis never tried to do something like that. Well, Will Wright got into uh, crypto, so there's still time for a Sim Ponzi scheme. He ba- he backed out of that. They did officially announce they were they were removing the crypto aspects from the game they're working on. Um, Very good. Which, but I mean, that's a case where also like he not to get too far from the question, but he is someone who takes a long time to develop games. Like every good game he's made took like five to ten years to make because he was just like you know pushing the ideas around on his plate with a fork, like trying to make them perfect. And how long did he- it take to make Spore? I mean, I, I don't, I mean, like don't want to make years. fun of Spore. I'm sorry. I mean, The Sims <laughs> took almost a decade from conception. That's true. Like, Will Wright's house burned down in 1991. Like, that took a long time to happen. Um, the Sims is a beautiful example of a game that uh, we all know this. This is uh, that allegedly and apparently this is true. Like, EA was like, oh, we're just going to cancel this right before it came out, right? They're like, they're like, oh, you know, I don't like, we don't like this. We, let's just not release it. And then they they just almost didn't release it, right? Like uh, a great example of uh, the people upstairs are nimrods 99% of the time in this world mm-hmm. uh, and to unionize your workplace, et cetera. I guess the reason I mentioned it is that thinking about Will Wright's current project, it's like, all right, yeah, a crypto company was, gave a lot of money to him to go explore this game idea for like five years. It's like, okay, he was that was who was willing to give him money to do his style of game design. So I guess that's where the money came from, that project. But yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Also, when a guy gets past a certain age, you can't really uh, you, you can't really expect him to know every note of internet discourse regarding a topic, right? You can't really expect him to know or be like fully immersed. You can't expect Will Wright to be totally immersed in all the grodiness of crypto. And you know what? Here's the thing about crypto. People are often asking me what I think about crypto. I'm going to tell you what. Is it possible for a guy like Will Wright to figure out how to make crypto interesting, fun, uh, profound, and world-changing? Sure, possibility definitely exists. It's just crypto is like an apartment building with a rat infestation, and the rats have gotten all the way up to the ninth floor. Any any intelligent exterminator will tell you, you just got to move at that point, <laughs> right? So that's 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 my opinion about crypto. Thank you. It's funny and interesting how like because I, I was interested in like what is his game, and then I saw that it was like oh geez here we go. But like reading about it was interesting because his the way he approached it was yeah someone who was not immersed in like all the discussion that was happening. He saw it and was like oh this is a way we can like have some you know like decentralized way of documenting things. And his approach was like 
you know, in The Sims, I saw people getting into fights over like mod and content ownership. He was like, oh, here's a technology we can use to solve that. But then every interview he did afterwards, he would have to open it by being like, it's not NFTs. There's no cryptocurrency involved and like apologizing for the design, mm-hmm. like the design choice. Yeah, that it, was, it was blockchain <laughs> stuff, really. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it was like, ah, it's like in another world where like maybe there was a use for this tech. It's like, OK, well, right. I can see that. But yeah, he he went into the rat building and had to yeah. had to explain yeah. that his apartment didn't have rats in it for the longest time. Yeah, it's like, know. mine's the one that doesn't have rats. I installed these supersonic uh, wave emitters and they don't come anywhere near it. Uh, it's all the other uh, apartments that have rats. Uh. So the answer to that question, though, is I wanted to see Maxis make their own version of Diner Dash. Oh, that's a short version. Oh, yeah. Sim Diner. <laughs> Sim Diner. Yeah, Sim Restaurant. Yeah, you know, thinking about it and thinking on my own fond times playing The Sims, I'm going to go ahead and give you a point for that because I never thought of that. And that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, it's, I think it would just be great to yeah. have a Sims like game, a hundred percent about running a restaurant, and it can be whatever cuisine you want. Critics can come in every once in a while, disguised or whatever. You can have a Yelp mechanic eventually in uh, Sim Diner Four or whatever when uh, you know when there's a, a future installment. People writing reviews on their smartphones at the tables, uh, right? One star. You can choose whether the servers call people Hun or Shug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Set the tone for it. I was gonna say it's funny because they almost tried this to an extent with the Sim on, like, sorry, excuse me, the Sims Online, pluralized Sims, uh, because they let you run a business and like, hey, your yeah. house, you can like have people come in. But it ended up, from my experience playing it, this very weird dystopian world where all anyone built was like exp farm so you would go to someone's business and it was just like <laughs> a line of like bench press machines it was like yeah, everyone just comes here and works out constantly so you can get max strength <laughs> stats so you can get money and it was like you made this a game about like the american dream and you ended up making these like weird like farm system it, it was bleak you know what's incredible is that was jarring to look at in a video game when it came out because you're like hmm this game uses elements of uh, verisimilitude to lull me into thinking I'm experiencing something simulacrumulus of the real world. A simulacrumulus uh, of the real uh, world. Simmiraculous. Simmiraculous of the real world. Uh, but this isn't what reality's like at all, right? And then now in the year 2023, kind of is what reality is like, dude. Too real. It was too accurate. It's just a bunch of birds at the same spot. I don't, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> Next, we're all we're all chained to the giant pizza machine of life. Oh yeah, yeah, basically. Beyond stuff like angry eyebrows, Kirby, that everyone listening to this knows about. What are some of the more interesting, less known regional differences in game release? There's also oh. uh, ang- angry eyebrows crash, which is the opposite. They added his eyebrows for Japan, um, and that's always a fun one. You mean Ratchet? Oh, I do. Ratchet from Ratchet and Clank has huge gra- Groucho Marx eyebrows. Yeah, in right. Japan. Uh, I was thinking of that actually. Um, I don't know if he still does. But, wasn't uh, cool enough otherwise. Uh, okay, yeah, one big old eyebrows. I mean, there's there's so many. It's a, a, a lesser known one is is that uh, well, there there was a lot of cross removal in the '90s. A lot of removal of crosses. So like there is a there's a sequence that kind of doesn't make sense in the Splatterhouse conversion for Turbo Graphics because there were there like he goes into a church and there's a big cross 
cross there, but they just removed the cross. Um, and, and it was like a dramatic moment because like light shines behind the cross or whatever. Um, but that there's just no cross in the American version because they were worried about Christians. And then uh, that also happened in Exile. Uh, and they kind of, another thing they did in Exile is remove um, some of the drug references because it was like uh, cocaine and marijuana and things were the, those were the, the healing items that you would take. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of little bits in there. But I think that some of the lesser known details are probably some of the least interesting. <laughs> so I don't know how good that uh, is. One of my favorite really bizarre, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if it's a regional difference as much as a total reworking, but uh, Police Quest 2. Two, when it was released for the, I want to say the PC-98, the Japanese computer system, all the character art was redrawn in anime style. So the characters now had like giant purple hair when it was supposed to be this like grounded police simulation game. Oh, that rules. Yeah, they did that for Might and Magic <laughs> also. Uh, they ju- they're just like, you know what, this doesn't look right. Well, that's at least that, that's more like that's fantasy. I can kind of get like, you know, sure. changing the art style of the region versus this was a game where, you know, you have like the drudgery of police work, but your character looks like they came out of Dragon Ball. It's incredible. Uh, it's a real weird tone clash. I can't think of any other games that ever came out in other countries. With the issue. <laughs> I just uh, I had a story to tell about. Uh, something that was changed in a region of a video game um, that was uh, something substantial that was a pretty uh, a pretty big change um, that a lot of people might not have noticed and i i didn't want to tell about it without telling a personal story involving one of the people um, who uh, was involved with the the decision to make that change and so i looked the guy up on twitter to see if he was still around and just too many people I know still follow this guy on Twitter. So I don't want to tell the story. So there's my there's my black hole of a story there. We can, uh, just we can move on if you a little, like. A little black hole of a story there. There was a story, but I'm not going to tell it because uh, it was just something uh, something weird happened. I, let's not get into it, but uh, that's my uh, – just a little intrigue sometimes. That's what people listen to a podcast for, right? They don't necessarily listen to it to get facts and information. Well, it, sometimes a little intrigue is, is all it my takes. My advice to our listeners is not to email Tim about this. You're not going to get any more Oh, I mean, it's it's. I was so vague that uh, uh, that uh, you wouldn't even know how to start that email, dirtbag. If we do want another example uh, to end on a less cryptic note, uh, going back to Maxis, actually, they had a separate vision in Japan that was in charge of localization for Japan. And when The Sims came out there, it kept the naming convention of their previous games and it was released as Sim People, which is kind of fun. <laughs> That's very good. That's good. I think to this day, it is still Sim People, uh, which Sim. again, there, there's not another Sim series to compare to now. It's not like it's on the shelf with Sim Park, but it just still carries that name legacy. I which kinda is kind of like that better than the Sim, Sim People. That's pretty <laughs> I don't know. I think, no, I think The Sims is. Is, uh, is a is is kind of a that's a billion dollar franchise name. Where Sim People is, it sounds cool. Uh, it sounds cool, but I would uh, Sim People, Shimu People. Uh, it is still called Sim People. Yeah, that's it gives fun. you a better idea of the like micromanaging hell you're going to put these people through than the Sims does, perhaps. Yeah, it's short for Simple People. I can keep going with more regional differences. I just can't guarantee that they're going to be interesting. There's JJ and Jeff, which was based on like two comedians in Japan, specific like two specific guys. And then in Japan, it was DJ Jazzy Jeff and Jeff, uh, his uh, alter ego, the less jazzy version of himself. Yeah, just regular Jeff, plain old yeah. Jeff. Jazzy Jeff and Jeff. <laughs> yeah, in 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 Japan, it was it was two specific guys, and then in the US, they made it two uh, non-specific guys and uh, took out a lot of the 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 farts. <laughs> and if that game had been released 
three or four years later, there would have been an internet forum thread in which uh, like eight guys who were probably really cool uh, agreed with one another as they tried to convince the world <laughs> at large that uh, you could have just left the guys in there. The humor yeah. could have translated. It is a weird game that to come across, period. Like that game. Oh, yeah. Did, like the. There are other games they could have brought over that would have t- taken a lot less work, didn't have to remake everything. Hudson's version of Populous, they they did a, a version for PC Engine that has Bomberman in it. That's oh, pretty that's, good. That's really good. Bomber Mopulous. Yeah, just add Bomberman to it. Yeah, Bombopulous. Populous, is that a uh, is that a Peter Molyneux game? That's a Maxis <laughs> game. <laughs> Peter, Peter Molyneux worked for Firaxis, right? That was his... Uh... <laughs> sure. <laughs> I promised some people that we'd talk about Bungie this episode, so Bungie. let's talk about mass game company layoffs. Uh, How yeah, they... and why do these keep happening? Because um, the people upstairs, uh, 99% of the time, are pretty stupid. Um, it's just one thing. in Mismanagement and whatnot. Uh, corporate greed. Growth capitalism is fake. Yeah, yeah capitalism is the is the, is the short answer. And give me about forty thousand dollars, Jaffe. I'll write you a really like good like two hundred page no jokes. Uh, I'll spend a couple months writing a no jokes uh, explanation. How much for some jokes? <laughs> I can do that for free. I guess <laughs> one one thing that has happened is for a while because of the pandemic there were zero percent interest rates on large loans for companies Mm -hmm. and people would people uh these companies would take out big loans wow brandon did you just reveal your implicit bias that corporations (laughs) are people people. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've been i've been driving around with my articles of incorporation uh in my in my car seat waiting for someone to pull me over so i can say i've got another person here with me i'm in the the carpool lane but uh yeah so you could get this free money and then if you spend that money acquiring another company you don't have to pay that money back because you have it's become a an expenditure and a, a sunk cost. So people, so these companies, <laughs> people, were getting uh, were getting free money and spending it on companies that they didn't necessarily have plans for. And then when yeah. uh, something like now happens, where the interest rate does exist and they have to start making actual money, then they come up against it and they're like, "Oh, well, now I have to figure this out," and that results often in layoffs and trimming down and it's just so i think that's why we're seeing so much of it right now Mm -hmm. across the last year because that's the duration of time like embracer was a big example of this sort of problem they were they were warning people to uh uh, embrace uh, for failure, I guess, That's right. with the name, and then you know nobody got it. Uh, yep. Yeah. So there's that, and then as part of that, there's some of the one of the worst times for getting funding and for getting investment because these things go in kind of booms and busts, and we're in a bust time right now where people are worried about their money. Uh, some people are still trying to spend it, but most people are trying to hoard it so that they can weather whatever this storm is going to be, and for how long it is nobody knows so there's just all that kind of stuff and i guess that 2023 has been kind of a record year for for video game layoffs from big companies but it's also a record year for consolidation so uh, it's no it's no surprise that those two things go together to me and it's also i think one of the things that's the most uh, stark that makes this seem even wilder is that it's also just been a really 
good year for like really good video games being yeah. released, uh, which I think has created this insane cognitive dissonance for people seeing all these layoffs. Like, why would Bungie lay a bunch of people off? Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 just came out and it's great. Yeah. There's a Baldur's Gate 3 now. There's a Street Fighter 6. There's a Diablo 4. Why would Bungie lay people off? Right? Like, uh, it's kind of the, yeah. like, the n- n- you know, being a little jokey about it, but I mean, that is kind of the atmosphere. It's like, Man, I saw someone post that like, and and you know this is not an equivalency at all. Sure, like the game industry at large was making this amount of money and laid off this amount of people, and that's like X amount of dollars per person. But that the the, yeah. the 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 game industry is not one one large entity that uh, shares resources. Obviously. It's not. It's <laughs> it's fourteen white guys worth uh, a couple hundred million dollars each. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's so there's and, four. And, it's and, split fourteen ways, and well. then a bunch of, and then an, uh, just a bunch of earthworms all over the floor. Just a bunch of earthworms like myself, uh, yeah, with that, with their they, their bowls uplifted, saying, "Please, sir, can I have some more?" And just fourteen white guys who don't look down, uh, walking around in cowboy boots. Yeah, well, they 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 exist on a they're on a different plane of existence. It's yeah. like uh, so people people talk about the dystopian nature of San Francisco currently, oh, and yeah. uh, I've decided to stop talking about that uh, to that extent because it's it's not funny. But these guys are in like the top floor of a high rise, and then when they have to come down to the street and see uh, people struggling, they're like, "This city's falling apart." It's yeah. it's a so it's it's kind of like that. So they're most of the time they're up on the top floor, and they don't have to they're have to deal with us schlubs uh, but I, I just as an aside for all the people that have read those news stories about san francisco crumbling and falling apart and and like nobody's there anymore except uh, unhoused folks on the street simply not true i mean i was just there on uh like a wednesday evening there's just people walking around everywhere the kinds of people who write stuff online about how a city sucks and is dying or whatever are the sorts of people who don't hang out anywhere. That's right. right? So it makes sense. The sorts of people who write editorials, here's why I'm leaving New York City after 25 years in New York City, right? That sort of thing. It turns out I made no friends during that time and made no effort to do so, and no nobody liked me. So I'm leaving. I I will say, I don't really have any (laughs) friends, and uh, I still do all right in New York. I have a pretty good time here. Like, uh, I don't don't hang out with anybody 99 days out of 100. And, uh, I, I wouldn't say this city uh, is dying at all. There were a lot of New York is dying uh, editorials going around during mm-hmm. the early uh, pandemic. My Froyo shop closed. And thank God there were, because that's how I got a great rent rate. Yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, like o- over here, people talk about the Westfield Mall closing down. It's like the big- oh, In, no. in uh, downtown? In downtown San Francisco. It's like a big- Whoa, really? It closed? Oh, it, it hasn't yet. It is closing. It is closing down. It okay. is closing uh, because- it's like going up for for sale or whatever but the thing is like that's not a cool place people were saying that it that it's because nobody's going there and because it's not sustainable or whatever but if you go to the Westfield Mall which is still open it's full of people <laughs> it's like yeah. you can't get you still can't get a seat in the, in the food, food court, court because uh it's full of people and people are in all the shops people are just operating like it's not closing because it's still there and people still like it it's closing because of like uh rising rates of rent people want to sell it etc but for like, a while that food court was the subject of i i think nine out of ten yelp reviews of uh <laughs> that that mall because of uh people getting their items 
uh, stolen phones and uh, wallets yeah. and backpacks. Apparently, yeah. there was a, a a gang of shop of uh, not shoplifters but pickpockets working that courtyard for a period yeah. of years. Yeah, uh, I got a backpack stolen there. Um, I remember. So, and apparently, there there would happen to just thousands of people, which is really wild to think yeah, about. Yeah, it's it's like if if you can get a bunch of tourists in one spot. Yeah, GDC. That's a that's a, that's a good place to steal a bunch of things. Anyway, right. sorry, we went we went uh, we went astray. We, went we all know the basic gameplay premise here, I think, but without looking up anything more than you already know right this second. Uh-oh. Okay, what is the Five Nights at Freddy's lore about? Lore? Yeah, what's oh. the lore behind those games? Chuck E. Cheese, but spooky, and you're stuck in there. That's it, right? Chuck E. Cheese, showbiz pizza. Yeah. Now, people make like eight-hour videos about all the story behind Five Nights Somebody at watched a Rock of Fire explosion documentary on YouTube and thought, yeah. uh, I can make a horror video game about this. Uh, so, but no, uh, yeah, you seem to actually know something. Let's let's hear well, it. It's not that I know something, but I, I think I have like a, a weird okay. window into like why people are into this, at least into this lore. One of my favorite things on the internet is a website called USA Store Fanon. It is a mm-hmm. uh, fandom.com wiki where people are making, it may just be like a handful of people are making like hundreds of directories for non-existent malls and it's like here's all the stores that were in this place in the 80s and it's this i don't know if it's nostalgia or if it's like uh like gen z people like like trying to relive some sort of like this is when things were better in the 80s but it's this fascination with old retail culture and that to me feels like what powers a lot of the five nights at freddy stuff because yeah it is showbiz pizza rock of fire etc but it's this intricate intricate lore of the i assume involving the people who made them and the history of this company i assume is a big part of it but i almost see those as being parts of the same thing where it's like just this fascination with like hey there used to be a pizza hut in this place and extrapolating that out into you know something you can make eight hour youtube videos about yeah so i uh, my my perspective on this is my uh, little brother has a child uh, who is a big fan of youtube all right, well, you see where this is going, right? His yeah. child is uh, his child is now twelve years old, but I recall when I I remember when his child was only seven, um, and eight, and nine, and ten, and eleven, and six, and five, um, and uh, this child has just had Five Nights at Freddy's in his head basically his whole life. Okay, and when I go. Okay, so I mean, I, I spend a, a a couple of minutes every day uh, deleting a few hundred YouTube comments. They're always in like a, the the dump truck section of my YouTube channel because you know they have a, a spam folder. I scroll through it, confirm everything is spam, and delete it. It's all people basically yelling at me, just accusing me of doing what my little brother's son does to me, which is walking up to them and speaking for six straight hours uh, uh, without giving me the option to walk away right, or close the tab. So it's a this kid, I have gleaned zero. Believe it or not, you know, this is interesting. I know I make a six hour YouTube videos. I'm actually, you know how you get to the point of being able to write stuff pretty well? You wouldn't know this from listening to me talk nonstop on podcasts or listening to me talk nonstop on live streams. I pride myself as being a pretty good listener. That's how you end up with stories to tell, Jerry, is by listening to people. There's listening time, which is off camera, and then there's talking time, which is on camera. I pride myself even as a good listener of children. 
because I think children can every once in a while say something genuinely interesting. Um, you know, it's kind of like fishing. Uh, you just, it's 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 boring, but when when something exciting happens, it's like, ooh, I'm glad I heard that weird child say that thing to his mom on the train because uh, that's that's interesting. I can confirm Tim remembers things about me that I've forgotten because I told him <laughs> once. Yeah, I, uh, that's it's my it's my secret my secret power. Anyway, all this is leading up to I can't I couldn't tell you a god darn thing about Five Nights at Freddy's, man. <laughs> he talks constantly about all the characters <laughs> and all of the stuff. And I'm playing FNAF World now and FNAF World has this character and I have this and my characters are on this level in FNAF World and yeah, it's, all, a, it's all lists, right? There's a game called FNAF World, which I think is some kind of JRPG. Yeah, it's the one nobody liked. Yeah, well, this. Well, guess what? Somebody liked it. <laughs> Someone did, or at least. Uh, well, I mean, in this in this day and age, what's really the difference between somebody liked it and I heard a kid talk about it for two hours? Right? What's actually the difference? We don't know. Yeah. Right? We don't know if there's a difference or if if those two things have more differences or similarities. I I could not tell you a god darn thing, and I listened to this kid, and I was like, so what's good about Five Nights at Freddy's? I asked him. Right. Because, you know, you know, there's there's people walking around out there in the video game industry. There's people out there who are making decisions in the video game industry who could not at gunpoint give you a convincing answer uh, or and they wouldn't even apologize. And they wouldn't even say, I don't know uh, if you ask them what Roblox was. Right. There's still right. people out there who don't actually who could not give you a coherent answer to what Roblox is or was. And I think a lot of those people are working top positions at Unity and Unreal. There's my little joke about that. And it's uh I I I learned what Roblox was pretty well from my little brother's child, okay? I was able to determine I have a pretty good grasp of what Roblox is, what goes on there. I've messed around, played some Roblox stuff. I get Roblox. I do not get Five Nights at Freddy's. And that's not because Five Nights at Freddy's is ungettable. I'm pretty sure if I played it, I would get it, right? But it's like there's a certain thing to Five Nights at Freddy's where this one particular child, I admit it's a small sample size, this one particular child is unable to give me anything of substance about the game. And I find that genuinely fascinating. I don't know what kind of compliment that is, but good work, Five Nights at Freddy's guy. I know he's, yeah. he's, like, a, he's like a Nazi or something. Like, I, don't, I haven't looked into that either. Something but, that uh, made me feel like I might never get it is there. there's some movies that I watch where, you know, I get a, a big part of the way through it. And it's like, oh, I have to be I have to have like a, a fear of the devil. Like, yeah. I, I have to I have to have Christian lore to find this movie scary or intriguing or interesting. Oh, I mean, yeah. Um, there, there, there are certain movies that are like that. And I got a, a little vibe. Like, Arach I was trying to watch Arachnophobia. And I was like, this movie has nothing if I if I like spiders. Like, it, it didn't, it wasn't there for me as a person who was like, spiders are cool. Um, well, how about, how about what you the birds the in the film The Birds? Yeah, I, I know about birds. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think, I think you, that, you think you know about birds, Carl. I mean, I think they're, you don't they're, know about like, birds. I've, I've looked in their eyeballs, and, and uh, they creeped me out for a long time. I've, I've only come around to thinking birds are okay recently. But anyway, I get a bit of that with the FNAF-ness, because he came from a very orthodox Christian kind of a background. 
And uh, I feel like there's just something in there yeah. that I that that isn't going to poke into my brain because I uh, am not going into a church. So I've heard you mention this this religion thing before, Brandon, about how you oh, yeah. can't hang with a specific thing because it's too much about there. It assumes familiarity with religion. I grew up Catholic and just hating it and thinking it was. I mean, I don't want to make fun of anybody who's Christian who's listening to this, but. Uh, I just grew up hating it and thinking this is the stupidest, lamest thing, and all these people are so unconvincing and boring. But I, I, I will admit, I still chill with some really Catholic stuff. Like Dracula is really Catholic. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that uh, totally. There, there's some <laughs> right? obviously like several. <laughs> there's a lot of things. <laughs> Hold out there on, that are... Brandon. I don't want you to talk over that, Tim. What, what did you say that should be called? <laughs> it should be called Catholicula. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. How do you spell <laughs> that? Catholicula. <laughs> <laughs> like I can watch the I, I can watch the Golem and I get it and and that's all. That's sure, because that's Judy. That's different. I think the young pope transcends uh, uh, Catholicism. I'm I'm only saying there are some things that that require a certain fear that I was not raised with. That's all I mean. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, like I'm saying, I was I was raised uh, by. Sunday school teachers who, in hindsight, all had some something severely wrong with them. Yeah. Uh, Sunday school teachers trying to scare us about the devil and heck, and just thinking they were clowns. Uh, uh, the fears never took on me. So maybe that explains why I have like an extra super shielding against any movie that you're supposed to have a fear of right, the devil. Right, but you know what the fears are. I know what it is, but I'm, I'm saying I don't find... Well, okay, the reason I started this discussion was to say uh, you talk about uh, not being interested in, in uh, particular sorts of stuff that requires stuff like that. And I, a person who was, was raised with it, I think I have... Uh, way less interest in it than you i like the knowledge is more the is more the issue than the than the the interest like i don't know well, that's, that's what i mean i mean i have the knowledge and it makes me less interested yeah uh, that from, makes sense. We're way over time uh Five. it's time for us to go to a break so we can all get a drink and go to the bathroom uh we'll be right back after these notes from <laughs> our interstitial theme I mean, one might argue that the reason for Five Nights at Freddy's popularity, and I'm saying this because no one else is uh, within earshot right now, is the fact that it has an aesthetic that might trick one into thinking it's appropriate for kids, but isn't. So the whole thing is that kids feel like they're getting away with. I'm telling that to you. Don't tell anyone. Welcome back to Insert Credit. We're doing Five Nights at Freddy's talk. No, I just want to finish what I was saying about Five Nights at Freddy's, because during the break, I said that me and me and Brandon were talking about how the story that is prevalent on social media right now is that the Five Nights at Freddy's movie is too scary. People are bringing their five-year-old children, their eight-year-old children, and having to run screaming from the theater because it's just a horror movie. And I wanted to point out that it took me a couple years to realize uh, in a conversation with my little brother that, uh, I was, I was talking to him about his child and Five Nights at Freddy's and, and he goes, Oh, he's never actually played the game. So that's, that's an important thing to know. Mm. Uh, it's like he's never actually played those games. They watch MatPat videos and then MatPat cameos in the movie. And yeah, it's, it's the ecosystem of people. Yeah. Like the, the, the comparison I was thinking about as we were talking about this was, um, Undertale and like great game, love Undertale, but there's this whole second world of like, the alluded to lore and stuff. And like to understand any of it, you have to like watch a bunch of speculative videos and read like a dozen wiki pages. 
And FNAF feels like a black hole of that, where it's like that's the content of Five Nights yes. at Freddy's. Yeah. Let's go to our dirt bag. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the point in the show where we take a question from one of our listeners who have subscribed to our Patreon at patreon.com slash insert credit. And our listeners love to ask us about FNAF. They do. Uh, they do. Right. In so. f- we, we might do an all-listener FNAF episode if we get 10 <laughs> FNAF oh, questions. I'm making that promise right now. <laughs> Don't do and it. And I'm making my panelists promise that they will not do any FNAF research oh, before man. doing the That show. sounds like it would be a, an excruciatingly boring <laughs> This is not a good idea. Uh, in fact, forget I said if, if you wanted to listen to a bunch of uh, white guys talk about something they don't know anything about, you would just, I don't know, watch Fox News or something. Fill it in with your own. Uh, yeah, you uh, could uh, uh, kaboom. fill it in with your own kaboom. Joe there. Rogan experience. Joe Rogan kind of experience. Yeah, that's he did on. a great FNAF episode. Really? Uh-huh. No, I'm just. It's, it, I don't <laughs> think so. Is my answer, to Phil? That. You talk with such authority that we just assume. I knew you were joking, but did you like how convincing I was when I said Diddy? <laughs> Diddy. Yeah, I, I the silence. It was like, do, do people actually think this happened? And like, I can't rule it out, but I don't think that was the thing that actually happened. It sounds like a thing he might do. He'd be like, Yo, FNAF is crazy, yo. Yeah. Anyway. This week's question comes from Isla, who asks, what is a game mechanic or system you really like that is in a game you don't like? Most of the ones I like, I'd say. Well, it's off the top of my head. I'm a, I'm what is referred to in the uh, in the, the foodie community um, as, a, uh, as, a, I'm a, as a super taster as regards video games. I find more things uh, disagreeable than agreeable recently. In the last 10 years, I've learned to basically only talk about the stuff that I like. Otherwise, someone is literally going to kill me. And, you know, uh, but uh, usually all uh, the systems uh, that I like, there's always uh, the rest of the game is always uh, once once there's something I like a lot. I just kind of dislike everything around it. Does that make sense? It does. Like you want to extract it and put it in something better. I think I think I have a good example here, and it's a very weird deep cut. Um, I've always been into weird old computer CD-ROM games, DOS games, things in that area. And there is a game that I cannot in good conscience recommend called Robot City that has some really interesting ideas. Uh, It is an adventure game from the 90s uh, based on Isaac Asimov books, and it's a murder mystery. We're trying to figure out who killed the only other human on this planet, and you're navigating this whole situation. Uh, You have a robot buddy who's with you the entire game who you can talk to at any point as a sounding board for sorting through evidence uh, where you can talk to him. They'll say, "Okay, here's the situation. What have you found? What can you make sense of this? And it's like at any point you can just use that to like try to sort through what you've learned so far. Like it's not bound to anything. It's just a mechanic where it's like instead of just having a menu where you see this piece does this, they'll actually talk you through the conversation. And there's even some cute little moments at one point where if you say like, I know who it was, it was so-and-so. They'll be like, why do you know that? And one of the choices is I've played this game before. Uh, so like, it's a really neat, like a little sounding board for getting through evidence. Uh, the game itself is a disaster though. Uh, it is an adventure game where the world randomly generates it randomly regenerates as you play. So if you're trying to get to a specific location, it will randomly regenerate the world on the fly. So there is no way to get to that point except just walking endlessly for an hour and hopefully not getting killed by something in the process. So uh, a very tough game to recommend, but a really neat mechanic for a detective game of having a Watson with you who can help you parse what you're doing. So I would take that out of Robot City, at least. This is a difficult question for me because I feel like I'm in kind of the opposite or perhaps a, uh, a a dual spot with Tim where... If you like a system in a game, you just kind of like... You, you don't really think about the other stuff. Yeah, well, well, so like... Because I, I just realized after I said that, that I'm like that with a lot of games. Yeah. There's a lot of games where I don't even 
notice the flaws because I just like the one yeah, thing I like about once it. I, once I like one thing about it, I kind of slide it over into the like category in general. Yeah, but then having a conversation like this will will put that like into danger because you're now being asked to be like – What's, yeah, you you now start thinking of stuff that you like in games, and then you're like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff I didn't like in this game. We could we could probably sit down and talk about how horrible the Yakuza games are if we ever sure. wanted to, right? Which is which seems insane. That seems like something only a completely deranged person would do. But it's like we could probably sit down and come up with a hundred a list of one hundred. Uh, this is why the Yakuza games are one star video games. Uh, uh, things. Yeah, it's it, it would be hard and a little bit affected, but I think we could do it. it. When I like something, a part of a thing, then it it has merit to me, and thus I. I could. I wouldn't say it was bad. I could say that I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I could say that it was an acquired taste or whatever, uh, or that I would recommend it only to myself. But I couldn't say that I don't like it. I don't think so. That's that's where I get into a tough spot with these because uh, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh... I mean, yeah. I I would say I would go so far as to say that uh, if I if I can find something to like, oh, this is that goes back to the super taster thing. I can find something to like in almost any video game i dare you to show me a video game i can't find yeah. something i can convincingly explain in ten thousand words that i like in it but again if you frame a question the way this uh, dirtbag question asker framed the question i realize oh i actually don't like most of most of the stuff in most video games <laughs> but but i just like the i'm again this i'm a super taster i like the stuff i like a lot yeah and uh, somehow that puts horse blinders on me when I'm playing a game that otherwise has some trash in it. Like, I've been playing a lot of JRPGs lately um, for, you know, no particular reason. And uh, most of those games are pretty bad. Um, yeah. But I was a teenager in the 90s. It's a big problem. I was a teenager in the 90s and they were great, right? So whatever. Like pro Project Number 3, PNO3, for example, that is a game where I don't, like the mechan the core mechanic, but I like thinking about what if it was a little different. I like thinking about that core mechanic and what if like her movements lined up with the music and all that stuff. And I like how the, how the art looks. And so ultimately, I'd probably put that game in the like category, even though I yeah. don't like to play it. Uh, it's a tough one. So I, I think uh, you know th this this is one of those questions where the question itself is uh, is slightly more interesting than the answer could possibly be. But it's like. Uh, I, I'm like dangerously close now to unraveling in my mind the game, the game God Hand. Oh no! Which is one of my favorite video games of all time, probably top ten. And just being like, you know what? Outside of uh, the absolutely perfect action design, God Hand doesn't really have. Oh, and you know, and and, and the, the 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 ridiculous slapstick humor and the the really. Uh, the good character designs and whatever. So much of the foundation of God Hand is just absolutely missing. I, I'm about to get roasted by my own Discord users for, for saying this out loud. But it's like, man, I guess God Hand's not a good game. But it's one of the best games ever made. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, kind I of think... systemically empty in in uh, in a yeah. lot of ways. But it's it's also got that sharpness. It's got enough for you to sink your teeth into that it could be your favorite. It's it's a rough draft. It's a practical exercise, right? But then, isn't that what the best video games are? And what does that say about the video game medium? That the best video games, in my opinion, are rough drafts and practical exercises of a mm -hmm. themselves that went on to never exist. Right? This is a. It, it gets a little 
little too deep, uh, too quick. This reminds me of the meanest video game review I've ever seen. It was, uh, I used to be on a Mario fan game forum for a long time. I was an administrator there back in the day in like teenage years. And there was a review someone posted for a Mario fan game that said, I think this game is pretty great as long as they replace the graphics, sound, gameplay, and level design, and it, like just like every single uh, quality of the game. Yeah. And it was like that's that's mean, but I think once you atomize the game, like I was struck when you mentioned Godhand. You said, "Oh, apart from the perfect action design, it's terrible." It's like, <laughs> what, what, <once laughs> yeah, I know. Even, it's the greatest game of all time, except if you look at the constituent pieces, and then it's an awful. Yeah. Like, I think once you break things down that much, you will find something to hate in anything. If you're like, well, right. putting aside its good qualities, there's nothing good about this game. It's like, yeah, that's that's what happens that's- if you true about anything because if you <laughs> if you get down on the canvas and wrestle with god hand what do you get this is bringing i'm trying to bring joe rogan style uh analogies <laughs> into here if you get down on the canvas in the in the in the octagon and, and, you, and you, you you really wrestle with god hand right you're like well what what could we do to make god hand the best game of all time and then immediately you know your brain throws a frisbee and three seconds later, you're like, oh, it would just be – you would just make it have like a campaign exactly kind of like God of War 2018 with kind of a story where you have a son. And uh, and then you're like, oh, no, I'm just making a really bad modern AAA video game now. And it's like you go from zero to that and it's like wh- what's the stepping stone between the rough draft, God Hand, and where we ended up right now? Uh, the Last of Us Part Three, right? What's the stepping stone between God Hand and The Last of Us Part Three? I guess it's near. Yeah, guess. that's exactly <laughs> it. That's literally it. Near doesn't have perfect action design. The the action in God Hand is amazing. You could call it a stepping stone, though. I think. Well, sure. A couple of factors. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Uh, I don't know. A hard question to think about. Good question. Yep. All right. That was fun. Uh, thank you, Isla. I would like to ask one more question before we go to the lightning round. I've been thinking about how books will frequently have forewords written by someone more famous than the author, addressing either what you're about to read or its subject. And I'm wondering, what would it be like if video games had playable forewords? Shoot. I'm really trying not to make a stupid joke, so I'm just not going to. Before we actually answer the question, I think it's very important to just get out of the way. David Cage. Just say yeah. say David Cage. <laughs> just yeah. have to make sure we mention David Cage at some Actually, point. We, in this episode where we kind of a video games question. We've mentioned Will Wright and that's a little too classy. Yeah. We got it. Somebody's got to sit on the other end of the teeter-totter and that's David Cage. Uh David Cage, he's sitting there now. Imagine David Cage doing a a, a forward for a Peter Molyneux game. Yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, David Cage <laughs> is the are. is the start the start for this. Uh, but what would who would write a forward for a David Cage game? Roman Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh Lord! <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that was the best joke I've ever had. Uh, I didn't think we could get more out of the David Cage. Uh, <laughs> just the name. Uh, I didn't think there was more to get out of there. We Lord, squeezed that. I can't believe it. That was that was good. The serious answer is I would say like Dennis Dyack would do the forward to the David Cage game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like you need to get the, – the goal would be to get Scorsese to do an intro yeah. for a video game. So are, are we talking like they're just having commentary before it or is this like a separate two-minute playable game that starts before you play the That's game? That's what I have in mind, yes. Okay. Oh, well I, I – think so. I think it could just be some words on the screen and uh, – I mean I don't think it has to necessarily be playable. I think it could just be words from a person that are like, you are about to play – 
you know, like uh, uh, when I went to see Killers of the Flower Moon, there was like a two minute thing of Martin Scorsese sitting there being like, thank you for coming to see this movie in the theater. And it was him uh, giving a forward to his own movie. And it somehow felt really weirdly like selfless and classy, which was the weirdest. Uh, it doesn't make sense that that's even possible. See you at the movies. That's, uh, yeah. that's Tom Cruise. Well, now that you're mentioning this, this is tough because I think forwards are like, it's not like you, you get a novel and there's like another short novel appended to the front by someone else. Like, yeah, they're yeah, apparently it's, it's, kind of non-fictional commentary. And I don't know what. Yeah, it's just some words. Yeah. It's like maybe you're playing a game where it's somebody making the game or something like, like I'm almost picturing like if appending a very small version of like a project digital eclipse would work on like you have to like read how the game was made on a timeline and watch an interview before you play it like i don't know what a, a non-fictional preface is one of my favorite four words one of my favorite literary works of all time is raymond chandler's foreword to his own short story collection trouble is my business i mean he just wrote a foreword he's like these are a bunch of stories i wrote when I was younger, I don't think they're very good, but here's why I think they were popular. And here's what, and, and he just kind of talks about it for a couple of pages. And it's just, it's a foreword written by the author prefacing his own work. Yeah, I really liked a foreword that I read at the front of a an F. Scott Fitzgerald short story collection of a bunch of things that he wrote mm-hmm. serials in a in a newspaper who, who I can't remember the name of it where the the foreword was basically about the importance of editors and how um like this basically put his daughter through college cuz he couldn't get any other work at that time and it was it was very interesting historical context and made me kind of like the stuff a lot more because it was it was this pulpy stuff that that he didn't necessarily love but he started putting more and more into it and the editor was uh, pushing back so it was written by that editor and it was pretty neat but anyway for for the for a real answer i think that an attract mode is a great place to put something like that Mm. so like you you linger on the pause screen and then toby fox has uh, an original composition and some some text and maybe a couple little graphics talking about how this game is going to be yeah well that's good that would do it. Uh, so, Toby Fox, if you want to do that for uh, for Demon School, come on over. Let me know. Uh, I'm picturing the recent, uh, there is the Umjammer Lemmy arcade game that recently got dumped, uh, which is, it's, it's basically the same game, but it has a very, very long attract mode in front of it that has a lot of original, like, Joe Chin, like, fake TV commercials talking about products. And I could imagine getting mixed in that, like, hi, I'm Martin Scorsese. Let me tell you how important Umjammer Lemmy is to my life. Yeah, it would definitely work. have mm-hmm. to be mixed in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, for sure. Guillermo del Toro introducing Death Stranding too. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, so I, if I think about this attract mode idea, qu- quite often if a if a game commissions like an animated intro or something, uh, or an animated piece that just goes on YouTube that uh, as promo only, then they'll uh, include it in a in an attract mode location. And if you got that from like some famous animator, then that would kind of count as as that as well. I think as a as a forward in a way, even though it was collaborative, probably created with them. Get like your uh, get a uh, Peter Peter. Oh, what's his last name? The um, Aeon Flux guy. Uh, Peter Molyneux. Rugrats. <laughs> anyway, the 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 Aeon Flux guy, P- Peter Chang, is it? Anyway, get him to do an intro, and then you'd be like, "Oh, hey, it's that guy. I know what his art looks like." Then then you'd sort of have a forward. I, I almost wonder what 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 is that studio that that always does the pre rendered like versions of of games for like announced trailers? Like, is one company that does all those things? I wonder, like, is putting that before the game like a forward for it in a sense? Since it bears no actual resemblance to the game, yeah. Only if it has like a, uh, I think it has to have an auteur voice behind it of some sort. Okay, that's that's fair. I think that's reasonable for a forward. 
All right. It's time for a lightning round. This is one I'm excited about. I hope it goes well. This is something I've never attempted. We're going to do it right now. Uh, well, I am going to give you a quote, and you have to tell me who you think said the quote. Peter Molyneux. One point will be awarded for the correct answer. Two points will be awarded for the best answer. I don't want to sound cri- critical already, but in the future, you should consider retooling this segment as a Cage or Molyneux. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, might get, we might get some of that. <laughs> Here's your first quote. I only included things that everybody likes, like violence, flowers, children, women, friendship, and death. Oh, so this is a video game developer quote. Is this video games specific? Uh, yes, these are all people who have developed video games, but it okay, doesn't okay. necessarily have to be your guess. Women, children, flowers, death? And friendship. Friendship, friendship. and violence. Friendship, violence, women, children, flowers, death. Before you mentioned this was a game developer, I immediately thought, like, oh, this is Quentin Tarantino defending an unpopular choice he made in a movie. Like, <laughs> I only put in things that people like. Like, I can imagine him in that tone delivering that quote. You know, that's a good answer. I like uh, that. Yeah. I was gonna, you know, it does kind of sound like Peter Molyneux, actually, but uh, it also kind of sounds like uh, Suda, except he wouldn't actually answer that question. Yeah, I would, I would say Goichi Suda. Uh, yeah. That was Tomonobu Itagaki describing Ninja Gaiden uh, 2. Yeah. Guy's wild. Your next quote is, design is law. Design is law. Design um, is law. That would be uh, Atsushi Inaba who made the uh, Phoenix Wright games. I don't know. <laughs> design is law? That sounds kind uh, of... Uh, that sounds a little... Uh, I was on a message board in the early 2000s where people there were proposing that people should get special privileges based on how good their game design concepts are. So I'm going to say that guy. Uh, I like that answer. It's very good. Design uh, Brandon, is law. Brandon, do you have any last guesses? Uh, I, w- I can't remember his his name. I was going to go for the the, um, the god darn Tekken guy. Close. It's John Romero. Oh, John Romero. Yeah, it was. It, no, John, it was... Romero, John Romero's quote is, symmetry is boring. So that comes up <laughs> later. I'm pre-answered. It. Also, I, so, would, I would count Shu Takumi as the uh, Shu Takumi, guy. yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just listing names. I don't, I don't know. Your next quote. Success comes on God's terms, in his time, and in his way. God only allowed me to have success after I'd been broken. That's the FNAF guy. That is the FNAF guy. (laughs) Yeah. Scott Coffin. I knew it. I knew yeah, that one. Scott Coffin. Did he have the coronavirus early? Uh, Scott yeah. Coffin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is did. He, uh, nice. Is he uh, from a graveyard? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, I've got more jokes. <laughs> you can't show the player a really big bomb and not let them blow it up. Oh, I, that, I remember. Who, Bomberman who did that? himself said that. I was going to say Mark Bomberman. That was his quote, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two points to him. God, who, who uh, that's, uh, could be Cliffy B. Uh, it was Gabe Newell. Uh, yeah. I never Gabe. think of him as a game designer. Like it just close. doesn't even occur yeah. to me. He, yeah, he he he, he used to he's a design a game. Yeah. How many billionaire game designers are there? Not a lot. Richard Garriott? Or is he just a hundred millionaire? Stealing is okay as long as it's done well. Okay. Uh uh Frank Cifaldi giving advice about video game preservation techniques. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, God, stealing is okay as long as it, oh uh oh I can't remember any of the names of these people, but uh whoever was running PopCap is my <laughs> oh, answer. Oh Lamau, dude. Yeah. Lamau. Yeah. Tim you have guess? Lamau, bro. No, I don't got a guess. That was Richard Garriott. RG. Oh, oh. Ricky G. Is, it, is that yeah. how he became a billionaire? Is that was that his technique? He's not a billionaire. Oh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Ricky G. He's a billionaire in my heart. 
Can you imagine being named Ricky G? But he did own a castle at one point. So much of the intellectualism we've had in video games is actually really pretentious and dumb. I feel like we've seen a lot of people just trying to be the person who says smart things about games instead of doing the work to understand gaming and discover things and then explore what those discoveries entail. I'm ringing the buzzer here on John camera. I'm, ring, I'm ringing the, the buzzer yeah. here on camera because I have the answer. Not Ken Levine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer to that question. I had to get in a Ken Levine joke. I was gonna say Ian Bogus, still... but uh, but I I I, I back the other answer though. <laughs> Not Brandon, Ken you have a guess? I said John Blow. It is John Blow. Yeah, that I knew the, it was. That, that was meant the other answer name was given me. Yes, John Blow. Yeah, I I also I, I debated on whether saying not John Blow, which would have been funnier. <laughs> it would have yeah. been. Um, All right, so. uh, next quote. Mansplaining is a sexist term designed to silence men via gender shaming. Is that John Blow also? Uh, I, that <laughs> was, I, I'm sorry, that's, that's something I said on a live stream last week. <laughs> Um, I guess nice. I guess uh, Elon Musk is technically a game developer because he worked on some games early. So I'm gonna he say he did work Musk. on some games early on. But man, this is his quote. Man's okay. So I'm assuming this is an English-speaking game developer because there's not a single Japanese game developer who has ever heard the word. Man's yeah, they don't know what that is. Over there, it's just called explaining. But if you bring up a question of a JRPG is a racist term, uh, we know who said that. Uh, that was uh, that was Yoshi P. So. We, we have that one uh, pre-answered already. But uh, mansplaining is a sexist term. Designed to silence men via gender shaming, yes. Oh, that's so weird. Could also be Mark Kern. So it's that this quote is coming from a guy who believes that every time he's ever been uh, annoying... <laughs> That it's someone else's fault. <laughs> that it was someone else's fault. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to think what video games. Ken Levine? <laughs> Who is the Stardock guy? I feel like we can just, things we don't like, we can just kind of dump on that. But I don't, I can't remember his name, unfortunately. Uh, is, no, it David, is it David Jaffe? This is a quote from Marcus Person, Notch of Minecraft. Uh, I forgot, I forgot about I forgot his existence. He exists, yeah. His yeah. god darn face is like literally uh, the <laughs> photograph in the dictionary definition of mansplain, though, yeah. right? Yeah. We got three quotes left. Oh, okay. Personally, a world that is happy and bright is something that just doesn't feel realistic to me. It may sound like I have a trauma or something, but I believe that the world is generally a wasteland that is not kind to us. That's just the way I see it. Is that David Jaffe? Is that Ken Levine? No. <laughs> is that Hidetaka Miyazaki? Uh, that is Hidetaka Miyazaki. Well, he's not a game developer. No, that's you're thinking uh, uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, oops, yeah, Miyazaki. Hidetaka yeah. Miyazaki. Yeah, sorry, it's from software. Also, what, what's your opinion? Who do you like more, Brandon? Uh, Haruki Murakami or uh, 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 Ryu Murakami? That's yeah, a, right, that's a good, right. a classic uh, 1990s joke. I'm bringing back the 1990s jokes Thanks. today. Our next quote, I could make Halo. It's not that I couldn't design that game. It's just that I choose not to. <laughs> John Blow? Is that me? <laughs> that's not John Blow. Um Wow! It's, wow! That's actually that's that's great. Yeah. Um, I could make it's, Halo. It's, it's not just saying like I I chose not to make Halo. It's I could have made that, but I chose not to. That's that's. Yeah. Oof. It's not John Carmack, but I, oh wait, is it is it Audrey? Uh, the the other Doom it's person, Tim Sweeney, who uh, who John Romero is constantly correcting, Audrey Sayre, I think. No, uh, he's always correcting Sandy Peterson on Twitter. That's right. That's who it is, Sandy Peterson. <laughs> I'm gonna give a left field answer and say Christine Love because I want to see what her version of Halo would have been like. Uh, yeah. uh, it was actually Shigeru Miyamoto. Miyamoto. In a 2007 interview with Jeff Keighley for wow. Entertainment Weekly. You know, yeah, okay, man, okay, so well, I. He probably could have. You know what? 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think he could have. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I just. I don't think he could have. He never wanted to make a game about having a gun and a vehicle. He never wanted to do that. It's true. Right. He chose not to. He didn't choose not to but either. I he, guess he, never. It was off his radar. Yeah, I think if he chose to, it would be. It would be a really. It wouldn't be Halo. It would be a very different thing. I'm. I'm. I'm recanting my. My. I think he could. Maybe I don't think he could because the way that he approaches design has a certain smoothness that you if that would change what halo is i think yeah yeah halo is definitely too messy of a game yeah um it's it, but it's messy in extremely fascinating places yeah so it's been a long time on this particular podcast or even in public in general that i've talked about playing the guitar um but i feel like this is a, a justified opportunity um being in and around bands and playing guitars now for 20 some years just being a, a guitar guy in this this hidden aspect of my life one of the things you've encountered the most is guys who hear a song and say i could have wrote that yeah you know yeah. Uh, uh kurt cobain uh smells like teen spirit there must have been 10 million dudes in the 90s who were like i could have wrote that song but that's so didn't. easy and it's like it's like first of all number one i for the longest time in my life my go-to knee-jerk response to i could have written that song was but you didn't right and in the last uh, three years, due to some, you know, I've, I've gained new insight. In the last three years, I've realized, but you didn't is still a good answer. But the real answer, the real answer, call this fatalistic if you'd like, the real answer is, no, you couldn't have. <laughs> Which isn't as, it's not as punchy to say. No. Yeah. It's a, uh, no, you couldn't have is the actual uh, answer. What does that mean? We'll find out some other day. Are, are you aware, Tim, of this movie called uh, Yesterday? Directed by Danny Boyle of uh, 28 Days Later fame. <sighs> 28 Yesterdays Later. He wakes up in a world where Halo was never made and he makes Halo. <laughs> he makes Halo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then starts, and that man's name is Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> That's right. I, I thought the original screenplay for Yesterday was a lot more interesting where he does rewrite the Beatles catalog, but it just doesn't take off in the same way. And he's kind of an indie art because... That would make more sense to me. Yeah, it's just the wrong environment for it. And then Paul McCartney, a, who is like homeless and like like has like a huge beard and is like covered in garbage, comes up and assassinates him at a concert. And he's like, yeah. you've been reading my thoughts. And everyone <laughs> thinks Paul McCartney's insane, but it, it was actually true. Uh, our last quote is, game development is very difficult. Uh, oh, that was me. No, it wasn't. <laughs> that was Brandon. That wasn't my mom, because she has no idea <laughs> yeah. what I've ever done in my life. And she would assume it was very easy, and I was lazy about it. That's a quote from, like, the tethered opposite person of every internet commenter who's, like, chained in a basement, who, like, channels all of their, uh, the opposite of all their thoughts and concentrates them in one person. That's right. It was Masahiro Sakura. Oh, that guy. Oh, guy. I didn't get to guess. Well, <laughs> you did. You said you. Oh, that was that guy, darn guy. Sucker and I gave guy, you man. two points for it. But oh, our thanks. winner is Phil. Congratulations. Because I didn't know the actual answers and I just riffed on it. So, yeah, that's what <laughs> I try to get these guys to do. But they're too interested in being right. Hey, I got one, right? You you did get one. Right? I think the not Ken Levine answer was pretty good. It was pretty good. The secret of librarianship is you don't actually know a lot of stuff, but you know where to find it. So like immediate reading yes. is not great, but I can I can like find magazines where a lot of these quotes may have been from or something like that, but I couldn't tell you who they were offhand. So when people ask me for advice, I just make jokes and it's great. 
Well, Phil, your reward is that you get to come up with a question that Frank Cifaldi will have to answer the next time he's on the show. So I'll ask you about that. Off Not the just him. The rest okay. of us also. The rest of you will too, but gear it towards okay, him. Okay, I, 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 I can find something that will potentially upset him. I can think about this. Ah, uh, very good. Yeah, that, that's what I'm looking for, <laughs> yes. Make him in, do his, ah. Uh, sound that he makes. This is the point of the show where if you have anything you'd like to plug or recommend, uh, now is the time to do that. If there's anything you're working on or something you'd like to show off or something that you just think our listeners should pay more attention to or enjoy. Philly, you got anything? Well, right now I'm kind of just in full video game history foundation mode. So you can always find us at patreon.com slash game history org, uh, as Frank will be quick to remind you. Um, but we've got some really cool stuff in the pipeline. Uh, I know Frank is obviously going out and like building these collections. I've been processing them. So I'm seeing a lot of the cool stuff as it's coming through. The really exciting one I'm working on right now that I hope we can share soon is we have been working with uh, Cyan, the creators of Myst, to digitize their archives of videotapes. And it's like the raw camera footage from Riven. They like filmed 15 hours of like behind the scenes from the making of their games that like nobody's ever seen before. It's really exciting. So hopefully we can share a little bit more about that one as we're getting the last stuff back from our uh, digitization vendor. But uh, I guess I'm not really uh, recommending like a thing you can do right now, but I'm just trying to get people hyped about like what we're going to be doing in the near future. Nice. Excellent. Brandon? Yeah. Tim, you may be aware of this album already. I, I randomly came across through through purchasing an album. Uh, there, there's an artist called um, Nakamori Akina, who oh, is yeah, very, very, very incredibly famous in Japan. And uh, she does. She, did you know she does private Christmas concerts in her house every year? No, can I go? Well, I guess <laughs> she's probably not doing it right now. Make that a new. Uh, I, I think she probably is. She's probably doing it right now. She's had some illness, and so she's oh, apparently. Yeah. Well, maybe she'll be ready in time for Christmas. Who knows? Yeah, I'll, I'll head over it's there. One of her, one of her things that she's known for. It's a a coveted thing to be invited to one of those. She did an album in 1986 called Fushigi, oh, which yeah. I, I, uh, this is the album that I just discovered through happenstance. Cause I bought it. it. It was first of all, very exciting to get this record. And, uh, and, you know, it's just a record, it's black. And then I flipped it over and it was a picture disc with her like veiled gothy face. She just decided to essentially make a kind of post punk ish goth album. Uh, in yeah. the middle of her idol, like at the very peak of her uh, popularity, just make this this album that's very like fretless bass, violins, uh, and her vocals are recorded as though they were in a like in a church down the street, and they set up a microphone pointed at it. It's it's really interesting and weird. Like her vocals are the hardest thing to hear in the piece and she is the focus like her name is on it and that it's just really neat and i loved it and i was very surprised to be listening to it because i was just expecting an idol album because that's yeah. kind of what she had going i'm uh, it, I'm, I'm impressed you didn't know about this because uh, there was there was a couple years oh yeah. back in this like is exactly uh, the thing i should know about uh so this was a, a couple years back uh so first of all i've i've enjoyed this record since about 2002 sure um so it's it's just a uh I know it, it, listeners to this show will know that Brandon uh, Brandon explores a lot of music and uh, uh, brings stuff up. I do the same thing. I just I I guess I tend not to talk about it as much. And also, uh, maybe I explored as much music as Brandon did does now at a certain time when Brandon was exploring slightly less than me. Uh, and now I explore slightly less than him. But I, I've been chill with this and album. exploration since. methods are different, I think, is why we yeah. find things different I used times. to go to the public library in Japan or a, a friend's 
uh, listen to friends' CDs and records in their houses in Japan using Napster in the 90s. Um, uh, I, I encountered some Akina Nakamori albums in around 1999 on Napster. And in t- 2002, I got really into the record Fushigi and listened to it a lot. And then in 2016, there was there was an AV Club article about the album Fushigi. Out of nowhere, uh, yeah. just uh, there was just a, a really thoughtful, well-written review post about this album that kind of introduced it to a lot of people and you saw a lot of people talking about it and around that time is when um maria takeuchi and uh, uh taiko onuki started just getting Blowing tens of YouTube. millions of youtube uh, algorithm views and uh so it's kind of a neat moment so fushigi is interestingly it's fun that you bring this up because it is the album i get asked about the most in a have you ever heard this album Mm-hmm. uh capacity makes sense by people on the internet they're always like have you heard this album i know you're you said you're a fan of this record but have you heard this yeah because it it sort of comes out of less left field even though it's also from oh, an yeah. incredibly famous author so it's like if it's like if taylor swift did like a, a weird album where her vocals were obscured and then 20 years later people would be like oh did you hear this taylor swift album so it's kind of like that yeah, yeah. but but uh it's it's really neat and also the next album of her is called Crimson. Crimson. She, uh, for the first time in idledom, basically, she used an exclusively female writing team for all mm. the for all the songs, which is, is cool. So I recommend both of those. Yeah, uh, albums. There's there's cool stuff like that here and there scattered throughout that particular little era. Akina Nakamura yeah. in general is uh, uh, if you if you get all her stuff, if you're on a good torrent tracker or whatever, you can get all of her stuff. I've got a full set of Flax uh, over here on my NAS. Um, it's good records to put on. Yeah. Um, and also that, that record Fushigi, uh, for all of its being s- discussed as a thing that some weirdos on the internet got really passionate about at one point, a little, a little, I got almost a decade. 2016 was basically a decade ago. A if you get ago. to be in your mid 40s, people were so mad about that record at the time, though. Like, they, they're, they're like, what? Wh- they thought it was this? a mistake. Yeah. Why did she do this? Uh, it's incredible. But uh, no, I mean, so it's like for all of the ballyhooing of the the the, the recent discoverers of the record, uh, it is in fact a it's it's more than just here's a different one or here's a weird one from a more conventional artist. It is an incredibly incredibly realized piece of work. Um, yeah, it's really it, it, it's, it's it's not just someone had an idea. It's someone had an idea and then they did it all the way. It is it is one of the masterpieces of of Japanese music if you were uh, you know charting the the top I don't we're not going to give a number the top you know the number uh, number sign number sign uh, to be filled in later to be determined later. If you're chopping the top records of of Japanese 80s uh, it would be, be it would there. be in there. It would be in there for sure. What would be at the top? I don't know, uh, or, or or do I? I probably do, but uh, <laughs> I, I I'm 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 not going to give people too many uh, too much homework here. <laughs> but uh, there's uh, it it is a real good one. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. And it it was uh, I love when you can have the experience of finding out about this stuff not through the internet or through recommendations. Uh, sorry to everyone because I'm recommending it to you, but through natural organic. Uh, I bought this because it was 500 yen, and now I listened to it two years after I bought it, and I'm like, whoa, this is great. It's one of the best things that I've purchased. So, oh I'm yeah, that's to this one right here. Do you yeah, have this there one? you go. Do you have there this record? Go. I'm holding a record up in front of the camera. Do you have this one, Brandon? I don't have it. All right. I'm going to count that as both your recommendations this week. 
I've got some recommendations on my end. Would you like to hear them? Certainly. Too bad. You're going to hear them anyway. Uh, if you enjoyed this or any episode of Insert Credit, I would recommend that you rate and review our show wherever and however you can. I do read every review. So if you would like to make my day better, go ahead and do that. Uh, you could also support us on patreon.com slash insert credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own questions, listen to monthly bonus episodes, and more. If you'd like to sponsor our show with an advertisement or a personal message, uh, just contact us at show at insertcredit.com and we'll work something out. You could also join our community at forums.insertcredit.com or find videos of these episodes on youtube.com slash insertcreditshow. Go ahead and wishlist Demon School on Steam. Yeah. Uh, visit the Video Game History Foundation at gamehistory.org. Yeah. This episode is edited by Esper Quinn <laughs> with original music by Kurt Feld. I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Tim Rogers. I'm Brandon Sheffield. And I'm Phil Salvador. And you've now accessed the Maxis V for Axis Praxis. Nice. Uh, available for six axis. I've got to go to the bathroom. That's I stood up and then uh, it was difficult to sit back down because I have to go to the bathroom and that's why I'm still standing.